dissecting the DC chaos one spin at a time. Welcome to Climate and Chaos with Jay Bashayo. Here's Jay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Climate and Chaos with Jay. I am, of course, Jay, your host. Uh, it's been an exciting week this week, hasn't it? It always is in D.C., it seems. Uh, it's been an exciting week for the Climate and Chaos show, too. We managed to pass the 4,000 follower mark on Twitter. So, hey, congratulations to us. And if you took part in that, I thank you very much. And, of course, if you haven't, that's not a problem. That's perfectly okay. Just make sure when you go to Twitter, you do follow me at ProudOIFVet. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, let's go ahead and let's start with the Democrat debate that took place. It was the third Democrat debate this week. And, well, you know, it seems like they all start out the same way, right? Attack Trump, attack Trump, attack Trump. We know Donald Trump's a racist, but there is no red band of courage for calling him that. Houston, we have a problem. This, we have a guy there that is literally running our country like a game show. He would rather lie than lead. President Trump, you've spent the last two and a half years full time trying to sow hate and division among us. As, and that is why we've got nothing done. You have used hate, intimidation, Fear and over 12,000 lies as a way to distract from your failed policies and your broken promises. The only reason you've not been indicted is because there was a memo in the Department of Justice that says a sitting president cannot be charged with a crime. <laughs> Kamala Harris says nothing done. Can you guys hear that? You know, if they're going to attack President Trump, they could at least try to be factual and make sense. But no, they just go with that whole orange man bad mentality and they just spew their lies you know talking about nothing done what does every democrat on that stage have in common what have they done all their years in government combined and what what has any one of them done they can't point to one solid thing they've done especially since they took the house in 2018 they have nothing to hang their hat on so of course they have to attack president trump and go off about him because they've got nothing to compare to. Are they going to attack the economy? Are they going to, what, what's their plan for the economy? How are they going to make things better? I would love to hear that. Well, it wasn't just on President Trump this time. They are focusing on the fact that if they are going to try to be the candidate to run for president, they're going to have to get at Joe Biden. So there was a couple of exchanges with him. One in particular, uh, Castro, Julian Castro, attempted to attack his memory. Take a listen to this. You said they would have to buy in. Are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? Are you forgetting already what you said just two minutes ago? I mean, I can't believe that you said two minutes ago that they had to buy in, and now you're saying they don't have to buy in. You're forgetting that. Now, a lot of people feel that Castro may have overplayed his hand there. I heard some people rumbling about in the media this week, but we'll see how it pans out. I don't think Castro has much of a chance anyway, but hey, I don't think most of these people have much of a chance anyway. I think when it comes down to it, as far as who the candidate is going to be, I'm pretty sure you're probably looking at one of four. You're probably looking at Biden, Harris, Sanders, or Warren. Now, I don't think any of them honestly have a chance at beating President Trump, not with where the Democrats stand on these issues. 
and there were some pretty big points to contend with in this particular debate. <laughs> Robert Francis O'Rourke, who I refuse to call by the name of Beto. I just, I refuse. That's his, not his name. He is pandering to the Mexicans and the Spanish-speaking population, and I refuse to call him by that name. It's not his name. Robert Francis O'Rourke had one of the key moments uh, of this debate when he said this. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. You know, when I was a kid, my dad used to have a saying. He would say something to the effect of writing checks with your mouth that your butt can't cash. That's exactly what I think Beto is doing here. Robert Francis Beto, whatever. He He's going to take all the AR-15s and the AK-47s, all the quote-unquote assault weapons. Assault weapon, that's funny. You know, especially in the military, you have a primary weapon, which is your rifle. You have a secondary weapon, which is your 9mm. And... You may have a bayonet still. You may have a K-bar knife or whatever, right? The point is, I can assault something with a rifle. I can assault it with a handgun. I can assault it with a knife. And if you get me in the right mood, I can assault it with a spoon. Okay? It's ridiculous. So anyway, wise man Robert Francis is going to take away the scary, aesthetic-looking guns. And that's all they are. We're talking about scary aesthetics because there's nothing that differentiates the way an AR-15 or an AK-47 works from a Winchester rifle or, you know, whatever. They're semi-automatic. They, they don't understand the fact that semi-automatic applies to most guns out there, handguns or rifles. And they just want to ban them because they, they look scary. They say weapons of war. Okay. You know, interestingly enough, think about this. Now, when they, they want to say that these weapons weren't around when the Constitution was written and things like that, right? Well, let's think about this for a second. So they say they were talking about muskets and single loaders and that. Well, at the time, weren't those the weapons of war? I mean, weren't they what they used on the battlefield where your musket or whatever else? Technology changes, but rights don't. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It's very simple. But guys like Robert Francis don't get that. So for a second, let's let's just let's play this one out and see where it goes, okay? So Robert Francis is gonna take the AR fifteens and the AK forty sevens and whatever else. So how's he gonna do this? Now, it is estimated that out of the population of the United States, which is a approximately 327 million people, approximately a third of that owns weapons, multiple, one, whatever. Approximately, there are about 300 million registered firearms in this country. Okay, so a certain percentage of those, whatever, let's say, let's say even 10% are these weapons that he wants to ban. So 10%, we're looking at 10 million weapons probably, right? How is he going to collect these 10 million weapons? He going to go door to door? I mean, he's certainly not going to do it, right? Because a guy like Robert Francis, he says he'll talk the talk, but he couldn't walk the walk. No, he's going to use our police force, 
our police force that generally overall probably believes in the Second Amendment, our right to keep and bear arms. They realize that it is important to us. And they're, they have family members that have these weapons. Are they going to disarm their family members? What's going to happen? What do you think would happen to this country if a, a weapons initiative took place to take these weapons out of our hands? Yeah, civil war. That's, that's what it's going to come down to. There are people that are not going to hand over their weapons. They're not going to participate in a buyback. They are going to, it's going to get bloody. That's, of course, what would happen. See, Robert Francis also made a comment this week. He said that an, an AR-15 shot will leave a hole coming out of you the size of an orange. Now, I firmly believe that people that don't know anything about a particular subject are definitely not the people to make laws about it. An AR-15 is not going to leave a hole coming out of you the size of an orange. It fires a 5.56 or a 2.23 round, and it's going to leave the same size hole as anything else that fires it. A 5.56 and a 2.23 round are common rifle ammunition. They fit several different weapons. But no, it, they, they want to play on your fear, people. That's exactly what they want to do. They want to scare you into thinking that these weapons are so bad and so sophisticated and they can do mass damage. I'll tell you right now, I'm a pretty good shot. I can't pull the trigger on an AR-15 any faster than I can on a handgun, on any of my handguns that I have. I can't pull the trigger any faster, meaning one trigger pull, one bullet. When they, Even when they talk about high-capacity magazines and things like that that they want to ban and they want to confiscate and all that, what difference does it make when it comes down to it? If I've got two pistols instead of an AR-15, and I've got even, say we go with law enforcement standard, 10-round magazines each, one in the pipe, so you've got 22 rounds between the two handguns. Are you saying that somebody couldn't do just as much damage with 22 rounds in two handguns as they could with one AR-15? Now, of course, I'm not saying that they should take all of them. They shouldn't take any of them. A ban is ridiculous. And it seems like that's what we keep running into is these, these talks about bans. Why, why do we have bans on anything? Why don't we play by big boy rules? You know, another subject that came up this week that I'll touch on briefly was uh, the vaping issue. President Trump is starting to get involved in this vaping issue, and I understand the premise of the problem, okay? It is true that these vaping industries with their candy flavors and things like that, they are advertising maliciously. Now, when I say maliciously, I mean they're targeting children. Now, there's nothing right about that, okay? Children should not be targeted by anything that has to do with tobacco or anything like that. But when you're 18 or older and you're age of majority and you're an adult, the choice becomes yours. That's what makes us a free society is that we have the choice. So President Trump tweeted out uh, on it was Friday that they're going to be making some decisions as far as getting rid of any counterfeit e-liquids which I think is great. If they're not being made properly, then they shouldn't be out there. 
and they're going to do something as far as the targeting of the children. Whatever it takes to keep vaping tobacco out of the hands of children, I fully support and agree with. But when they were talking about banning it and things like that, banning all flavors except tobacco, that's just ridiculous. We are not a society that needs to put bans in place. Not when it comes to guns and not when it comes to vaping or anything else. But Robert Francis and his dreams of disarming a law-abiding citizen population is just absolutely ridiculous. So, much luck to you, Robert Francis. It's a good thing that you're polling at 2% and never going to be president anyway, because your plan is just absolutely ridiculous. Anyway, the other big takeaway from this was Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang is, he is one interesting person. He's not dumb, okay? He's, he really is a smart guy, and maybe even a little too smart. In my estimation, I think he's attempting to buy votes. Now, the big highlight of his campaign and his policies is he wants to instate universal basic income for people, also referring to a freedom uh, payment or whatever he calls it. But basically what it is, is it's UBI. It's universal basic income. He wants to give $1,000 per month to everybody. To everybody. Just $1,000 per month. Interesting, right? Wow, we all hear this and we hear free money and this is just a wonderful thing, really? No. I mean, come on. How are we going to pay for that? $1,000 a month. Now, he announces at the debate that his campaign, out of his own pocket, is going to give 10 families $1,000 a month for a year. Really? Now, that's not trying to buy votes? It should be completely illegal. I mean, I would have to think that there's some kind of election law against buying votes, but that's exactly what he's doing. UBI has failed in every society. There is not one example. I actually tweeted Andrew Yang and asked him to give me one example of a society that, that introduced UBI and was successful with it. Of course. Okay, so let's talk about something else that happened this week. Uh, Nadler, Jerry Nadler, and his House Judiciary Committee voted this week on moving forward with an impeachment inquiry with President Trump. So, what exactly does that mean that they did? They voted, and it was a party-line vote, of course. All the Democrats on the committee voted for, and all the Republicans voted against. But what, what did this actually accomplish, okay? I'm here to tell you it accomplished absolutely nothing. The chairman of the committee can hold hearings on whatever he wants to hold hearings on. So if he wants to move ahead with this so-called impeachment inquiry to determine if President Trump did something that amounts to an impeachable task, he didn't need to have a vote to do it. So why did they do this? Well, that answer is simple. They have to keep both sides of their party happy. What do I mean by this? Okay, here's what you've got going on. You've got some divide in the Democrat Party right now along the lines of impeachment. And here's the reason. You've got, at this point, there's 119 Democrats 
that have signed on to move forward to impeach President Trump and one independent. Now, that's 120. You need 217 to get a House vote through. But why haven't all the Democrats signed on to this, you might ask? Well, here's the answer. Because some of these Democrats are in red states, and they want to get reelected. And they know that if they move forward with any kind of attempt to impeach the president, the odds are they won't get reelected. So what they're doing here is they're trying to have it both ways. And there were even some prominent Democrats. John Favreau uh, called out the Democrats on this, that they're trying to have it both ways. They're trying to say, hey, to the population that says we want an impeachment. Look, we're doing something. We're moving ahead. It's getting closer. We're getting closer to impeaching President Trump. And at the same time, these other Democrats can conveniently bow out and say, well, yeah, I'm not on the side of impeachment at this point convenient. That's that's all they're doing here is they're trying to appease both sides. The point is, I still ask the same question. What are you going to impeach him for? What for? Now, Jerry Nadler is planning on calling in Corey Lewandowski at the end of the month. I don't know what he thinks he's going to accomplish with that, but he's going to call in Corey Lewandowski. They're still trying to get Don McGahn to testify. Now, the last time they tried to do that, President Trump uh, extended executive privilege. Okay, this is the White House lawyer, and I'm sure he's privy to some conversations with the president that are classified of an utmost serious nature and are not for open discussion in Congress. So, of course, Don McGahn shouldn't testify. So now it's Corey Lewandowski. And the crazy thing is, Jerry Nadler has put forth what they're trying to investigate to lead to impeachment. I mean, they're trying to go after him for emoluments. They're trying to go after him for, get this one, here's an interesting one, right? This week, I heard one of the things that they're looking into is President Trump's failure to protect us against a foreign adversary. Now, what, of course, does that mean? Well, I think they're probably alluding to election tampering. So that's what I think they're getting at. They're getting at trying to say that President Trump hasn't done anything. You know, they can't give up the Russia narrative. They're still pushing Russia. And the sycophant people that are on the side of the left are buying into this hook, line, and sinker. You know, the Mueller report comes out and specifically says that no member of the Trump organization or President Trump himself colluded knowingly or unknowingly with a foreign adversary. But that's not good enough. You know, they love to use Mueller when it's convenient for him. But Mueller, we all know, wrote the roadmap to impeachment. He didn't have to write all this crap in this 400 pages that he wrote. The volume two of the Mueller report is garbage. It never should have been written in the first place. You don't exonerate somebody. That's what the Democrats are still all hung up on. Well, you know, Robert Mueller, he couldn't exonerate him. Well, no kidding, he couldn't exonerate him. The prosecutors don't exonerate. I mean, where are we going with this? We didn't get Robert Mueller to say that President Trump was innocent. 
Well, it's not his job to determine if President Trump was innocent. It's his job to determine if President Trump broke the law. And if he can't conclude that President Trump broke the law, then he is, by definition, innocent. Yet still, they're pushing ahead with impeachment. It was Representative Al Green, who doesn't make sense most of the time anyway, but he did say something that actually spells out the Democrats' intention. He said that if we can't beat him, we have to impeach him. And that's what this all comes down to. They want to impeach the most successful president of our time. He's got the economy rolling. He's got black unemployment at the lowest it's ever been. Hispanic unemployment at the lowest it's ever been. More women working today. GDP up over 3%. All these things that President Trump has done that just contributes to the success of his presidency. And what do you get? You get people like Kamala Harris on a debate stage saying that he hasn't done anything and he's got failed policies and right. You know, they're they're never going to let this go. I am so interested to see when President Trump is reelected, what is their stand going to be then? And the thing is, does anybody really think that President Trump will be the same person in a second term that he is in his first? When he doesn't have reelection hanging over his head, I got a pretty good feeling that the gloves are going to come off. He's really going to go at these Democrats with their complete and utter lack of decorum when it comes to the president of the United States. We all know that this started with a failed coup attempt. There was an attempt to overthrow the president of the United States. And since that didn't work, they're trying to nail him for doing something that rises to the standard. Because remember what Article 1 of the Constitution says. It has to rise to the standard of high crimes and misdemeanors. And they have nothing. But they're going to keep digging. All day long. Okay, so let's talk about the Supreme Court for a minute. There was a ruling this week, um, a big victory for President Trump on the immigration front. It was a ruling that states that people seeking asylum need to stop in the country bordering theirs. Gee, now isn't that a novel concept? That you're not allowed to jump over three countries to get to the United States to try and apply for asylum. So that was a big victory for President Trump because we know we have people coming in from Central America going right up through Mexico and not wanting to apply for asylum there. Most of these asylum claims are denied when they get to the United States. And a lot of the reason is because they don't fit the description of what asylum is. When you're trying to apply for asylum, you're supposed to be applying for it based on your government taking adverse action upon you, you being politically persecuted. But these people are using it as a rite of passage to try to come here to have work. That is not the intent of asylum. Those people need to get in the back of the line and do things the right way to enter the country properly. So, a little bit of reform there on the asylum process. You know, and interestingly enough, Joe Biden was asked on his immigration policies about asylum seekers. What his answer was will blow your mind. He said that he would take all the people seeking asylum unrestrictedly and push them all to the front of the line. So everybody seeking asylum, basically what Joe is saying here is he wants to let all those people in first. Now, of course, 
the Democrats, who basically push for open borders, call it what you want, it's open borders. If you don't have a defined plan in place, it is open borders. So, keeping that in mind, Joe's answer went right along with that. He's going to take everybody seeking asylum, push them all to the front of the line, put them all before judges, and of course, he wants these people at it. Democrat policies have failed inner cities. I did a podcast on that not that long ago. Democrats used to attack African-American populations and keep them, wanting to keep them thinking that they were oppressed by the right wing and that the left was going to be their whole salvation. Well, because of the fact that a lot of African-Americans are waking up to the fact that these Democrat policies are failures, the Democrats need a new population. So they've moved on to illegals. They've moved on to the illegal alien population, who's not even supposed to be voting anyway, but we know that they're still allowed to in a lot of cases, and that's now who they're targeting. So when you hear about open borders and these people wanting to let these people in, you think, well, why would they want to do that? Well, that's your reason why. They're looking at these people as future voters. Okay, so let's talk about North Carolina now. Well, as you know, there was a special election in North Carolina that had both Republicans and Democrats very hopeful to win this election. Now, if you listen to the mainstream media and all the pundits, as they're referred to, this was going to be a total bellwether or referendum on Trump. Like, this was going to be a chance for not only the Democrats to increase their hold in the House, but this was going to be a rebuke of President Trump's policies, and it was going to show that the Democrats were just growing in strength, is what they were predicting. Well, they couldn't have been more wrong. Now, this is really interesting, the way this went down, okay? there's This was a special election because the previous election to this was a situation where McCready, the Democrat, was losing by a very slim margin to the Republican, Mark Harris. And a new vote had to be ordered because the election was tainted by an absentee ballot fraud scheme that benefit the Republican. So this takes place. They order a new election. Now, this Dan McCready is a younger guy. He's a 36-year-old Marine veteran, more charismatic. So, you know, they were thinking that this was going to be a walk in the park for Democrats. Well, that's not the way this went. This was more, in my opinion, this was more a rebuke of Democrat policies. People are not liking what they're hearing from Democrats. I mean, this can't be that hard to believe. This is a party talking about open borders and gun control and infanticide. So why would it be such a shock that a Republican is going to win this particular district? Now, we're talking about North Carolina's uh, 9th Congressional District. It's a suburban rural area. It's in the southeast part of the state. And it's been Republican-controlled in Congress since about the 1960s. This is also an area that President Trump carried by about 12 percentage points in 2016. It was one of those things where it looked like a Republican stood the best chance, but it was so close this first time around, it, the Democrats really thought they had a chance of breaking through here. Well, they didn't. 
Also, North Carolina's third district, which has been actually, it's been, um, it, it, it hasn't had a representative since last February. Uh, that was won by Greg Murphy. He beat out uh, Democrat Alan Thomas. And yeah, that seat has been left vacant since the death of Walter Jones, a longtime Republican. This was two big victories for the Republican Party. It not only closes the gap a little bit more in the House, but it's you look at where we are right now. Okay, we're in mid to late 2019. The election is a little more than a year away. You see what the Democrats are offering up as far as the candidates that they have. You listen to their policies and you really have to think that they're ringing hollow with the rest of the country. Now, is this North Carolina race a, a big indication of that? Probably not, okay? This was probably something that, statistically speaking, the Republicans should have taken easily. Now, the Democrats like to, lay, like to hang their hat on the fact that they didn't take it by a whole lot. Now, in, the, in District 3, it was a pretty wide victory. It was about, uh, about 20 percentage points, a little over, actually, 20 percentage points. But in District 9... It was a close-fought battle. I believe uh, he only won by about 4,000 votes. So the Democrats are thinking that this is them gaining ground. But you got to remember now, Dan Bishop, three weeks prior to the election, was down by 17 points in the most recent polls. Okay, now for him to come back and win this, now what was the kicker? Of course, there was a Trump rally. President Trump he flew down on the Monday before and had a rally for the Republican base for Bishop. That definitely had to play a role in the outcome of the election. So, the power of Trump is alive and well. At least, we know this to be a fact. But this Democrat push that everything is going to be a referendum against Trump, and the country is sick and tired of him, blah, 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 It's I, I don't think any of that weighs in to be true. You've got to look at the fact that President Trump is protecting our civil rights as far as these crazy policies to ban guns and ban everything. You know, this is this is left wing ideology versus President Trump installing conservative values. So that's a big thing. And it probably is going to assist President Trump's victory in 2020 on how he has stayed true to keeping his promises and making sure that the country is running better than it ever has. So, now you are informed on everything that has taken place last week. Don't you feel better? I know you do. Of course. Make sure you tell your friends about Climate and Chaos with Jay and what a wonderful time we have here every week with my devoted listeners that take time out of their schedule to listen to me. I can... Not say how thankful I am for that. Be looking out next Monday. There will be another episode, brand new, coming at you of Climate and Chaos with Jay. Until we meet again, take care of each other.